today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. They continued to turn their back on him, on his word, and yeah, on his warnings. That's as foolish as you and I traveling from here to California in the midst of a pouring down rainstorm. And we see one of these flashing lights that the highway department has put out. It says, warning, bridge out ahead. Bridge out ahead. And we continue on in a, in a pouring down rainstorm in the middle of the night, flying down there 80 miles an hour and just ignoring all the signs, ignoring the dangers of even how we're driving, where we're driving. And then all of a sudden there's, there's those that say, don't go any further that way. Have you ever had a little buzz of warning in your head? Something that maybe says, slow down, don't go there or pay attention to this. Did you ignore it or did you pay attention and listen to the warning? God, in His faithfulness, has given us warnings of the things we should turn away from. He explains what will happen if we do these things, judgments or sorrow that will come our way. He calls us to Himself to be reconciled and walk in His ways. Pay attention to what God is saying and open yourself to His calling. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Isaiah as he continues his message, God's Judgment and Comfort. Isaiah's focus totally on who God is, his activities and his promises. And throughout the pages of Isaiah, we see the reality of coming judgment, but we also see the hope of renewal and reconciliation. Should the message of the church be continually the coming of the wrath of God? I think the more important message that we have is the grace and mercy that God has available to us even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our rebellion. I believe that that is a more important message because, again, too often the world looks at the church and says, their only message is turn or burn. You know, that, that's all I ever hear from, from these Christians and from these churches where our message needs to be, you know, God in his grace, God in his mercy wants to make himself known even when we're rebellious against him. And then let God begin changing hearts. What I don't want to see is people's lives being changed on the outside with no reality of God on the inside. Then we just become really religious. And beloved, there's a lot of really religious people that are headed for an eternity in hell. I've started to say, okay, I'll stop preaching, but I'm not. I'm, I've got more to go. So in, in, in Isaiah's declaration of God, we, we find out that, that Isaiah, very, very quickly, we realize that Isaiah understands that God is, is far from and far above his creation, and yet at the same time, he remains 
intimately involved in that ongoing life of his creation. He is the great God who is enthroned in the heavens, and yet he knows your heart, and he's working in your heart, and he's speaking in yours, and he's encouraging and strengthening and covering and protecting us in ways we we can't even begin to imagine. That's the greatness of the God that Isaiah is trying to make known to the people of Judah. In describing the, the majesty and the place of God throughout all of his creation, Isaiah uses a, a multiple of particular phrases and words. And I don't want to be cumbersome on this. I don't want to be uh, you know, prolonging this thing. But as I looked at these things, I thought, man, how, what, a, what a powerful message it is if we would just pause long enough to hear the message. We read in Isaiah the phrase, the Holy One, of Israel. We read it at least 25 different times throughout the book, as well as the phrase, the God of Israel. And that's in there another 12 times. Guys, these are, these are proclamations. These are statements, again, of the fact that God is the God, the one true God of Israel, rather they recognize him or not. Just like we could talk to uh, those that, that are outside of faith, those that are lost, God created you. You know, God loves you. Whether they believe it or not, it's the truth. We need to be truth tellers, even if they don't accept it. Jehovah, Yahweh, is the God of Israel. Yes, even today. The second thing that we see that Isaiah does, he uses the what's called the covenantial name for God. Uh, it's first given in the book of Exodus, that name Yahweh. He actually uses it no less than 300 times throughout the book of Isaiah. Those 66 chapters, 300 times. Now, you guys that are math pros, you could do all the division, the multiplication, carrying one, dividing by seven, and find out how many that averages out in those 66 books, 300 times. But just with my little brain, I'm thinking, man, that's a lot of times within 66 different books. And he's declaring that covenantial name. What does that mean that he would say Yahweh more than just the God in heaven? Yahweh was the way that God introduced himself to the people of Israel that they would know that he is over all, above all, and more powerful than all things. The great the mighty, the self-sustaining, self-sufficient one. And as Isaiah is declaring this to the people who are rebelling against him, he's saying, look, you know, you guys are making gods and worshiping them. You need to turn back to the one true God who he himself is self-existent and he made and formed you and he sustains your life, Yahweh. He also uses the name El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, 50 different times. And then he uses the compound of that saying, the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Again, just re-emphasizing the strength and the power of God. He does that about, about 10 times. He uses El Shaddai 50 times within the book and then adds to it the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah then directly quotes the, the voice or the words of God as he declares four different occasions, as he speaks that God says, I am God. 
remember what Moses at the burning bush, who shall I say sent me? Tell them I am has sent you, that self-sufficient one. We understand that in the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the I am's of Christ declaring once again his deity, uh, the, the power of that word, I am God. Isaiah visits these themes also, uh, the theme of uh, establishment of justice. We see that throughout the book. We see that God is the sustainer of peace. 26 different times within the the writings, he comes back to that theme. Uh, That God is the source of our joy. 30 different times within his writing there, uh, he brings that. And the second half of the book, chapters 40 through 66, or actually about 63, the book is 66 chapters long, but in chapters 41 through 63, Isaiah brings out the fact that God's desire, God's overarching desire is for reconciliation. God wants people reconciled to himself. He wants to renew his relationship with his people, the people who he chose over all nations of the earth. He chose Israel, not not because Israel was special, not because they were more talented or better than anyone else. No, as a matter of fact, God tells Israel elsewhere, he says, you know what, I chose you because you were the least among the nations. I chose you because people would look at you and say, it's got to be God because you can't do that. I look at that and I think, it's got to be God that's even called me in the ministry. Gosh, if you guys knew me before, you would think, are you kidding me? I, I... Barely made it out of high school. Did you know that? Four points. By four points, I made it out of high school. If I was four points less, I would have had to uh, go back through again my senior year. I wasn't going to go to college, and yet the Lord moved on some friends of mine to persuade me to go to college. I said, I'm, I'm not college material. Are you kidding me? I was ready to work with my hands the rest of my life, and I understood I, I could do that, and yet they continued to pester me until I finally got into college, and guess what? When I got into college that first semester, in fact, the first day I went to register, that's when I met my wife. So that's the hand of God, just the way God works. Now, if you want to hear something really strange, I was able to cram my four years of education into nine, okay? And at the, at the end of those nine years, now this is really scary, I got an elementary school certificate. My, my, my degree was in elementary education. And believe me, at that point in time, you wouldn't want to let me loose on your kids. Again, it's got to be God. It's got to be God. We see, we understand when he works and moves within the hearts and lives of people, it's not by their might, it's not by their strength, it's his might, it's his strength. It's the amazing work of reconciliation and building that God does work in our lives. It's only within, back to Isaiah, it's only within the last section of Isaiah that we find the word redeemer. Only within the last section. And I'll speak about more of that in a moment. Look with me, if you would, go go to Isaiah. Yeah, we're actually in Isaiah tonight, okay? In Isaiah, and and go to chapter 41. I, I love this passage, one of my favorite ones. Isaiah 41, and down at verse 14. If you've got the King James or the New King James, all you gotta do is look at that, and you probably know where I'm going. But I love what it says there. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 14. 
Fear not, you worm, Jacob. You men of Israel, I will help you, says the Lord and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. In other words, he said, look, you guys are like worms, but I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna work for you. And it's only in the second half of Isaiah that we get the strength of this hope of redemption. The first half, by and large, primarily, is again, the coming judgment of God. Oh, we hear the promise of being born of a virgin. We hear the promise of the, the son coming and under, in, in the earlier chapters. But by and large, those chapters deal with the judgment. And as I said before, Isaiah is, is a book of 66 chapters. I, Isaiah didn't write it that way. He didn't start chapter one, Isaiah, and start that way. No, they were divided up into chapters long after Isaiah wrote it. But it is, again, it's interesting how it is divided up. The, the chapters, the depth of the message that we see on there. Actually, some people say that Isaiah is the fullness of the Bible in the Old Testament. 66 chapters, we got 66 books. Again, Isaiah divided up the earlier part in like the judgment of God, the second part, the redemption of God, very much, you know, kind of the message that we see in an overarching way of of the Old Testament and the New. Though there is great redemption in the Old Testament, don't let anybody tell you that the God of the Old Testament was a God of judgment and the God of the New Testament was a God of, of grace and mercy. No, he's the same God and we see his grace and mercy over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Oh, and by the way, the last book of the New Testament, that's a pretty strong God of judgment at that point too. So again, we see the same God working. But the book itself, Isaiah, can be pretty well easily divided, and I've said it a few times, I understand that, into two different sections, uh, two different of these sub-themes. Chapters one through 39, Again, speaking about the coming judgment of God upon that disobedient people. And then chapters 40 through 66, uh, the coming salvation, the reconciliation, the the comfort that God wants to bring to the people. Because he knows, I'm going to send you into exile, but I'm going to bring you back again. So be comforted in that fact. In the midst of your exile, be comforted in the fact that your discipline is only gonna last for a time. Isaiah writes of this time of redemption as a sure thing, it's it's going to happen. And from that, we realize that there's always been this remnant of faithful. Yeah, even in disobedient Israel, there's always been a remnant of the faithful. We, we look at the history of the church and gosh, for, for hundreds of years, the church looked so dark and literally so evil. It was a political structure and there was so many things that were done, quote unquote, in the name of the church that were atrocities upon nations and, and people group. But did you know that all through that, there was a remnant of the faithful? Oh, the, the, the mass of the people, that that the world looked at as the church was a scary thing. I wouldn't want to be a part of that. But I know that there was a remnant of the faithful that has always been there. Even when it seems the entire nation had turned its back away from God without any hope of repentance, there was a remnant that was there. As a matter of fact, that word remnant occurs 15 times. The amazing thing is that idea of the remnant, 15 times mentioned in Isaiah, but 14 of those times was in the first half 
as Isaiah is speaking about judgment, judgment, judgment. Oh, but there's a remnant. Judgment, judgment. Oh, but, but there's a remnant. So in the midst of the charges and the accusations and the reality of God's wrath being poured out, God keeps putting in that, that word of hope. And beloved, he does that in all of our lives. Amen? You know, I don't think any of us would be here tonight if God didn't offer us some hope in, in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our falling away, that God continues to bring that message of hope. Isaiah 1.9 declares, unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. God has always had a remnant, even in the darkest of hours. He raises up those whose, whose hearts uh, have remained faithful to him. Not perfect. None are perfect. But those that are faithful, those that still have a hunger for him. Major portion of Judah and all of her leaders, well, not all of her leaders, but most of her leaders, just the wickedness of the people, even in their times of quote-unquote worship, have become a real stench to the nostrils of God. He sent out multiple emissaries in, in the form of godly priests and godly prophets to try again, declare for the people to come back again. And I think through our nation's history, now well over 200 years, 250 years we're pushing on. And you look and you think, man, how many times through our nation's history, God has raised up men a multitude of local pastors that maybe the nation hasn't known, but they've proclaimed it within their communities. Again, calling people to come back to God because they've seen where our nation was going. I can't imagine if we were to go back into the early 1900s or even the 1800s, and you would hear the message of some of the revival preachers back during that time. I mean, some real hell and brimstone kind of guys that are saying, look, our nation is turning away from God. And if we don't turn back, God is going to bring his punishment upon our nation. Back in the 1800s, the early 1900s, can you imagine what they would say today? I believe at that point they would wonder, God, are you going to need to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah? by allowing this nation to continue. Well, God doesn't apologize to anyone, so I don't think we'll have to worry about that. God had sent these multiple individuals, godly priests, there were some during that time, godly prophets, because he desired to turn the people's heart back to pure worship and to faithfulness to his kingdom. And yet, as a whole, they continued to turn their back on him, on his word, and yeah, on his warnings. That's as foolish as you and I traveling from here to California in the midst of a pouring down rainstorm. And we see one of these flashing lights that the highway department has put out. It says, warning, bridge out ahead. Bridge out ahead. And we continue on in a, in a pouring down rainstorm in the middle of the night, flying down there 80 miles an hour and just ignoring all the signs ignoring the dangers of even how we're driving, where we're driving. And then all of a sudden, there's, there's those that say, don't go any further that way. You need to stop. You need to turn around. You need to reconsider what you're doing. There's a bridge out ahead. 
and yet the nation keeps going 80 miles an hour toward destruction. Beloved, that's what Israel did, and I believe that that's what we're doing. Judgment was coming. And the unfortunate reality for Israel, by the time Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah, there was no turning around. God's judgment had already been set into motion. God's judgment was going to come through. There'd be a time, though, that God was bringing it. He brought judgment in order to bring about reconciliation. He brought, he brought the punishment in order to bring about, again, that purifying of hearts. He wanted them to come back to the one true God of Israel. And in the long run of things, there was only one, only one who could fully and completely establish that ultimate redemption for Israel and for the world. And that would come through the one who is known in Isaiah as the suffering servant the sinless sacrifice. But he's also known as God Almighty, the King of Kings, the one who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah tells us that of the increase of his government and of his peace, there'll be no end. And upon his throne of David, and over his kingdom in order to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Is there hope for Israel yet today? Yes, as they turn individually to Jesus Christ. Is there hope for America today? I believe that there is, but I believe on an individual basis as we come to Christ. Have we passed that place of no return as far as God's judgment on our nation? I don't know. I don't know. I wish I could say, no, you know, it'll be fine. But I don't know. I look at 2017 and I see all that's taken place just within that one year. And that's, that's not going back to, you know, multiple disasters and catastrophes and financial destructions and the immorality and, and, and the grossness of our nation over the last 60 years. But I look at this nation just last year. Have we passed that time? Where will you be if we have passed that time as a nation? That God's judgment would come on our nation and tomorrow looks totally different than it does today. Freedoms that you and I enjoy at this hour, the next hour, be taken away in an extreme manner. If you don't think it can happen, then you're not a student of history at all because all you have to do is have a cursory understanding of history, biblical history as well as secular history. We see nations that have been blessed by God tremendously that have walked away from him and have had been literally destroyed, not the nation that they were before. We've had 250 years of enjoying the blessings of God. I believe that we are set and ready for a major change. Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. 
They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so, Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward. Please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page. See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word.